Well, good morning, Redeemer Church. Good morning. Now, we are um, taking a hiatus from our friend David. There's a number, number of reasons for this. The first one is, my goodness, I need a break from David. <laughs> right? I mean, I can only preach about rape and murder so many times before I got to <laughs> go to Paul. Now, um, I did not, though, choose the verses today at random. Uh, we're going to be looking at Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 20. Now, you know, there are a lot of new people here, um, and the culture of this church is something that, that has attracted people. It's always attracted people. Uh, we are people who love the Lord Jesus. We love the table. We love the bread, and we love the wine. <laughs> And so thinking about this church and thinking about its culture, I thought, especially going into uh, next week is Reformation Day, and then we'll have Thanksgiving, and then we'll have Advent, and I'm going to get up here, and I'm going to read my favorite verses out of Deuteronomy about spend all your money on the booze and the wine and the meat. I'm going to. It's going to happen. But I, I wanted us to temper that. I wanted to talk for a moment about maybe the darker side of this feasting culture that is so prevalent amongst us in the CREC. And, and just remind us, right, that, that there is a spirit that we are to be filled with, and you cannot buy it at Total Wine and More. <laughs> so these verses I've been considering for quite some time personally, just my own, my own understanding of this life that we are living, the Christian life. But I thought it, would, it was time to just talk about it as a community. So the verses I'm going to look at are, again, Ephesians 5, 15 through 20. And this is what Paul has to say. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much uh, for Paul's ministry to the Ephesians. I thank you, Lord, for these words of wisdom and understanding and insight uh, into uh, the weakness of our flesh. I pray, God, that as we open this word, that we would... um, see our own folly and sin uh, and, and the wisdom as well that we need, Lord, the, um, the righteousness of Christ that we need to cover our sin. I pray that we would, all of us, be careful about how we walk, that we would walk in wisdom, that we would walk in understanding, and that we would indeed be filled with the Holy Spirit. We thank you and we praise you in the name of your Son, and amen. Now, when you're traveling down the road in one direction... First Samuel, Second Samuel, it's easy to just pick up where you left off from last week and carry on. But then if you go jumping around uh, from book to book, I think it's important to stop for a second and consider uh, the book that you're talking about, right? You go from Second from Samuel to Ephesians, that's a jump, right? They're, they're, they're quite different. Now, Ephesians is written to Christians in Ephesus and in the the area of Ephesus. I believe it wasn't simply the Ephesians, given the fact that Paul states several things in there that makes it seem like he doesn't know everybody, but he does know everybody in Ephesus. So it was a letter that was supposed that was sent to Ephesus, read as a on a Sunday morning like this, and then was passed around to the other churches. 
Now, Ephesus is an important city. It was the capital of the Roman province of Asia on the west coast of what is now modern-day Turkey. It lay between the eastern and western halves of the Roman Empire and was among the five most prominent cities in the first century, the five big cities. It's, it's like New York or Los Angeles or Paris or London. It's one of the big ones. Now, during Paul's unusually long stay in Ephesus, he became, it became the center of evangelizing, right? When you want to have a big effect on a large area, one of the most effective um, things that you can do is move to the big city. You go to the big city, you have a, a greater influence over a bunch of people that, that are traveling in and out of it. If you have um, people who are doing, um, you know, they're coming and selling their goods, they have businesses there, they're going to go out to the, the four corners of the world. It's a good place to set up shop. And Paul makes the best use of Ephesus. Now, his affectionate ties to the saints there is evident in his farewell speech to them in Acts chapter 20. It's quite an emotional speech that he gives, ending with the fact that he will never see them again. And they all are weeping. It's, uh, it's very emotional. But he was very pas- passionate about the saints there and the work that they were doing. It was very important work. It was a very important church. Now, the most prominent civic monument in Ephesus was a temple to the goddess Diana, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was massive. It was massive. And lots of people would come from all over to see it. And, you know, as, as is common, if you go to clap traffic shops uh, in, at tourist destinations, what do you always, right? You, my mom used to collect the little spoons. Have you ever seen those little spoons? These middle American women, I don't know where they got this idea. But you buy a teaspoon and it has this little enameled picture of the thing you went and saw. So my mom has more teaspoons, and I, I, I don't even know where she keeps them now. But they used to cover the walls in my dining, in the dining room of the house I grew up in. And you got, you know, you, you got the Mount Vernon spoon and you got the, the Lincoln uh, Memorial spoon. Now, this is, this is something that we still do. I, I came back and now, you know, I always laugh at my mom about her spoons. And, and you go to my fridge and now there's these magnets that I buy everywhere I go. <laughs> you know, that silly woman. Oh, oh, guys, I brought another magnet from a castle you've never seen. But let me tell you, it was beautiful. This painting, no. So what they used to do, obviously, because Ephesus was a clap-trappy town, is they would make these little silver statues that you could take with you, and you could set up in your house, and you could offer her bread and wine and worship her and pray to her. And, and, and it was a, they had these silversmiths who made famous idols of Diana. Now, this was a huge industry there. And so um, Paul comes, and he starts throwing this whole industry under the bus because there is only one God, and his name is Jesus, not Diana. And you should stop serving idols, and people would melt down their, their Diana statues, and he, he was messing with this whole thing. So the silversmiths got quite angry with him. Okay? They, they were very, 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 very angry with him. And he caused a, a big stir there. And, and this was one of the things that he was working on very hard in Ephesus. Now, the, it, it's interesting because the city, in, in one ancient inscription of it, is called the nurturer of the goddess. So Ephesus was the nurturer of the goddess. And the goddess, in turn, makes Ephesus the most glorious of the Asian cities. Now, Paul, being as wise and clever as he is, later in his epistle, makes reference to both of these things. Okay, the original readers of this letter would have appreciated the irony of Paul's words in Ephesians 5.29 about Christ's nourishing his own body, the church. So he's mocking this culture that they have there, worshiping Diana. 
The original readers would have also appreciated the point of contrast when Paul describes Christ's church as the glorious bride in Ephesians 5.27. He's making fun of the cult of Diana. He's teaching and instructing. Now, I think this is very important for people who don't like the serrated edge, who have a hard time with the sort of edgier side of things. He's not just teaching. When he's teaching, he's making fun of the idols of the people. He's mocking them openly. This is the kind of thing that you hear and hear when I start talking about a dithering Joe Biden. We mock the blindness and foolishness of pagans, even as we're instructing the saints in the truth. Now, it was also in Ephesus that Paul's preaching, as I've mentioned, of Christ caused a major conflict with the silversmiths who did not like him and, want, and threw him out of the city. And, and they caused riots, and it was a big deal. Now, Paul's call to expose the deeds of darkness in, in, in the book of Ephesians, he says, expose the deeds of darkness, prepare for war against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is what he talks about in chapters 5 and 6, and, and that would have struck the original readers with special force because they're fighting Diana. And, and Paul understood something that the Old Testament saints understood is that there behind the statue of Diana, there in the temple of Diana, is an actual potent force. There are spirits, there are principalities and powers of the air. Okay, when people set up these, these temples, they're not just empty. We know, right, there is no God but God, but the fallen angels are busy running a boot, right, setting up shop as Diana, setting up shop as Allah. Yes, I said it. Setting up shop as Buddha in various and sundry. It's super weird. You know, they do the x-ray of these Buddha statues. You know, there's people's bones inside of there. You know, so when you go and you worship a Buddha, there's actually... In the ancient ones in Tibet, there are actually people encased in those things. Now, isn't that creepy? That's super creepy, right? There's something there. It's not just a statue. And so Paul is talking to people who are fighting, right? One of the biggest idols of their time lives in in Ephesus, and and it draws a lot of people. And Paul goes after it again and again and again. And that's it's not random that he's suddenly talking about principalities and powers of the air. He's taking them on again. As I said, he's not just teaching truth. He's being quite cutting towards the, the current culture in Ephesus. Now, this epistle helps us to understand the doctrine of our union with Christ. That's almost always, when you hear sermons from, Ephesus, uh, from Ephesians, is what people talk about is our union with Christ. It's a big deal in this book. Um, in the early portions, it says, In Christ, the Father has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. That's important. In Christ, that's something to be emphasized. In Christ, he chose us before the foundation of the world. In Christ, he predestined us for adoption. In Christ, we are the beloved. In Christ, we are blessed by the Father's glorious grace. In Christ, we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. This is how he talks in the early portions of the book. It's in Christ that we have obtained an inheritance, and in him you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The epistle teaches us that of all, all of human history moves toward the goal of bringing together all things, all things under the sovereign rule of the crucified and exalted Christ. They can make as many statues as they want. They can make as many temples as they want. But the purpose of human history is that all things would be united in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ's mediatorial reign is most visible in the church itself, through whom the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose that God has realized in Christ Jesus, chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. Right? There, is, there are other competing forces. 
that want people's attention, they want their praise, they want their worship, they want their devotion. And what the Lord has set up against all of those is the church. The church is not something that's supposed to, to exist in the shadows. It's not something that's supposed to be off stage. It's not something that's supposed to be anywhere except in the center of town, in the center of culture, in the center of what's going on in every city in the world. And this is where we get our culture of bring it, right? Why, why would we possibly leave this place? Why would we leave it to pagans? This is Christ's city. This is his county. This is his state, and we aren't going anywhere, Amen. right? <laughs> and we live in a city. Well, what do they call it, right? Let's have a we, – we, we're so happy. We have the Kraken. Finally, we have a hockey team, okay? And what do they call the stupid stadium they play in now? The climate change pledge, whatever. And you're like, are you kidding me? I so desperately wanted to go there, and I just can't bring myself to do it. (laughs) Right? There's a statue of Diana (laughs) right there in Seattle. Climate change. And if you want to know how we are supposed to understand our responsibility to the culture around us, it's this. We are supposed to say, sit down, shut up, bring it. And, and I think that if we all understood what Paul is doing in this letter, that's, that is very encouraging with the gospel. But he, if you think about the city that he's in, he's not just saying, oh, guys, it's, you know, Jesus won. It's going to be good. It's okay. No, he's mocking and ridiculing and, and, and setting up a counterculture. And he's saying it's the church. The church is the thing that's going to go into the world and bring this truth, this, no, this knowledge, this gospel that everything is united in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our message. Now, it's important to understand the structure of Ephesians. It's a simple way to understand it. Chapters 1 through 3 tell us the indicatives. They tell us the statements of fact that undergird our faith. This is who Jesus is. This is what he has done. This is what he is doing. This is what he is going to do. And for three chapters, he tells us that. And then in the, in the second three chapters, chapters 4 through 6, he tells us the imperatives. Therefore, go and do this. And, and, and this, is, this is so important for us to understand. Because people very quickly start thinking that we're talking about a works, works righteousness. right? Go out and do good deeds. And, and, and what, what it is, is we have a Ephesians mindset. Here's the truth, here's the truth, here's the truth. You are not your own, but you belong, body and soul, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? That's the creed. Now the deeds matter. So therefore, go and walk a certain way. And sometimes in churches like ours, especially in the CRC, especially Reformed ones, we start talking about, hey, you guys ought to do this, and you guys ought to do that, and they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. But the argument is, no, it's, it's right there in Ephesians. This is what we're saying, and we have to emphasize it to make sure that people aren't confused by what we're saying. You can do nothing, but in Christ you can do everything that he calls you to do. And that is the gospel. That is what Ephesians is about. So be very careful if you're only going to ever turn to the second half of Ephesians without reading anything, <laughs> anything in the first half of Ephesians. Because even right there in the middle of the book, he has a prayer. He says, he tells you all these glorious things for three chapters, and then he prays that you would understand, comprehend the length and breadth and height of the love of Christ, or the love of God in Christ Jesus. Right? He wants you to understand that. You need to understand that. Because then he goes on and tells you, Things like you ought to love your wife like Christ loved the church. Right? If you just go with that, 
without the first three chapters, you're going to run into some problems, right? You're going to despair. So this is the overall structure of the book. One of the other things that he talks, he, he talks a lot about throughout, especially in the second half, is how you walk. Okay, how you walk is important to him. But you're only going to know how to walk if you know what the way is. And the way is Jesus. He makes it very clear. And then he gets on in chapters 4 and 6 to talk about your walk. He says in chapter 4, verse 1, Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. He later exhorts us to no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. We are to be imitators of God as beloved children and to walk in love. We are to walk as children of light. Paul picked up this idea... It's not random. From the Old Testament is where he got it. Deuteronomy 5.32. You shall be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You should be careful, Moses is saying, about how you walk. And Paul, the apostle, comes along later and knowing the books of Moses, says, hey, be careful how you walk. How you walk is important. And he doesn't want to just tell us how to walk <laughs> before he's told us the way. And the way is Jesus. Okay, now that you know that he is the way, let's talk about how you follow. Remember, Psalm 1.1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Okay, this is, this is not a new idea. Paul is, is referencing the Old Testament. That's what I like about this book. He doesn't just come right out ever, and just be like, uh, uh, as it says in the book of Moses, uh, books of Moses, as it says in Samuel, as it says in Psalms. He, he's full of the word of God, and it just pours out of him. And that's another thing. If you want a real good study Bible, okay, what you do is you overlay the, old, the New Testament over top of the Old Testament, all the references, and you punch a hole there, and you, make, right, you take that, and you see the links. Right? You go, and you, 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 there's references that he's making, like walking. Well, let's go back in the Old Testament and look at what Moses had to say about walking. You see that the, uh, the book of Ephesians is full of Old Testament references. He uses terms like redemption and forgiveness, adoption and inheritance. He says the uh, circumcision. He talks about the covenants of promise. He talks about the temple. He talks about these things in this book because he's full of the word of God. And if you're full of the word of God, when you're going to sit down and you're going to encourage people in the truth and you're going to call them up to, to a certain way of walking and a certain way of living, if you are full of the, the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord will come out. <laughs> I don't know how many times I think, you know, I have no idea what to say to this person. And you know why I don't have anything to say to them? Because I'm not full of the word of the Lord. Other times, when I'm full of the word of the Lord, it's like I can't even help myself. Before I even think about what I'm saying, the word of the Lord's coming out of me. I'm like, man, that sounded like Samuel. <laughs> man, that sounded like Paul. Right? If you want to be wise and you want to call people to, to a higher way of living, right? a righteous way of living, be full of the word of God. That's, this, is, if you can't, this is where we're going here. This is where Paul is taking us. He's full of it and full of the word of the Lord, and so it just comes pouring out of him. So as we're going here, now this is all setting us up for chapter 5. Chapter 5, verses 15 to 17. Now, right, think of all the themes we've talked about. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. 
Now, the reputation of the gospel is bound up in our public behavior. This is important for us to understand. The need for care and wisdom, right? Lest the Christian cause should be inadvertently jeopardized by our thoughtless speech, our thoughtless action, right? One of the things that you are doing, okay? When you go from here and you're speaking kindly to your wife, that is something you're supposed to do. Why? Because that is what the Lord Jesus does to his bride, the church. Now, the other thing is when you are speaking that way to your wife in kindness and love and selflessness, when you're doing it out loud, your children hear you. When you do it out loud, the, the guy standing behind you in line at Wendy's hears you. Okay? The way that we are conducting ourselves is, is increasing the reputation of the church or decreasing the reputation of the church. This is why I am so glad they're follow, finally calling us Christian nationalists. Oh, you're paying attention now, and you're calling us the labels that we ought to be called. This is what I love. People are like, oh, no, not Christian nationalists. I'm like, finally, finally, they figured out what we're doing. Every nation in the world under the banner of the Lord Jesus. Yes. I kind of wish they hadn't figured it out. <laughs> right? But they have. And so this is what I, and, and for some people, it's a problem. But for me, I'm like, no, right? Now they're, right? Why, why of all things on on. on Recently on the news, right? They had this big news program, and they're going to talk about Christian nationalism, and who do they have? Moscow, Idaho. A bunch of ragtag guys now are unsettling liberals and progressives throughout the whole country. And you're like, yes, the reputation of the Lord Jesus Christ, this is, they're actually worried about it. All the things they should be worried about, and they're worried about Doug Wilson in Moscow. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, I would be worried too. Right? Because he's getting old and he's got an army of people who are going to take over for him. Right? This is what I love. The reputation of the church, the reputation of the church, church's culture, is something that is supposed to be spread abroad by the way that we act and the way that we walk and the way that we treat one another. Right? This, we are living in a place where I don't honestly think, I, I think to get anybody's attention around here in Seattle, uh, we would have to do something pretty extreme. I think probably more extreme than we're really able or willing to do at this point. But I know that over time, if we are faithful, they are going to worry about our children and their children and what they're going to be doing around here. They're like, How, where did this come from? And little do they know, it's little churches like ours, at, at the, you know, at, when it finally happens, 60 years ago, if we would have known that little church was there, we would have crushed it. You're like, ha, ha. <laughs> we're just doing the faithful thing we're called to do. Loving our wives, having kids, teaching them to love Jesus, teaching them to work well, to, to work with their hands, to make the best use of the time, to look carefully how they're walking, to be wise, to know the will of the Lord, to be full of the Holy Spirit, to be full of the songs of the Lord. This is the thing that we are doing, and eventually, when they, when they finally notice, it's going to hopefully be too late. This is what we are thinking of. This is what we are trying to accomplish here. Now, everything worth doing requires care. We all take a great deal of trouble over the things which matter to us, our jobs, our education, our homes, our families, our hobbies, our appearance. The things that we care about, we take care to do well. You can tell what I care about because right? people ask me, well, what are we going to do about this? I don't care. Whatever. Do whatever you want. I don't care. Whatever. Just do it however you want to do it. But other things, suddenly Mike sends like 15 text messages and 20 emails, and he's like, clearly he has some feelings about how this ought to be done. 
Now, it's easy for, for someone like me, because I don't care about my... Yeah, Becky's laughing a little too hard back there. It's true. I'm the kind of person where it becomes very obvious that I care about something very quickly. But most of us, this is how it works, right? You can tell, oh, this person takes a great deal of care here. This must be important to them. And, and Paul is saying, yes, right? Look, look carefully. Look carefully, then, how you walk. It should matter to you. It should matter to you like your job. It should matter to you like your education. It should matter to you like your appearance. Look carefully. Take care how you walk. That's the first thing he says to us. Now, he says, be careful because he wants us to make the most of the time that we are given. Because, do you know why? Right? Because there's not much of it. Be careful with the time that comes to you because you will blink and that kid that you, ha- that you were responsible to raise will be 25 years old and they are either going to be a blessing to the rest of us or not. Okay, please, let him be a blessing. <laughs> okay. Right? And, and <laughs> we, ha- we have to take care of the time that we are given because there's not much of it. And not only that, it's mostly evil. Now, what does he mean by this? Okay, now, if you sat down and you added up all the Netflix shows, total time, running time of every Netflix show right now, would you call what's there evil or good? Hmm, oh, man. This is like, hold on, i got to cancel my Netflix account right now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> right? If you think. Um, now, I'm, I'm not taking a shot at anybody here, but a couple of years ago, I watched a Seahawks football game and they lost. And I spent four hours sitting there. And this is just me personally, because I, my wife will testify to the fact that I've spent way too much time with my 10 fantasy leagues and my whatever. But one day I was like, this is evil. This is an evil waste of my time. And now, you know what, I, I can find out if they win or lose in five minutes. Now, this is what I have to be careful. I'm not saying everyone who goes out of here to watch football is sinning. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm telling a personal story, okay? I'm telling a personal story. I was like, you know what I'd rather do is plant a church. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, they, they had a party last year, and the only playoff game that I wanted to watch was hilarious. Anyway, okay, there are things that are going on in our lives. Um, if, if you, if, for me personally, if you watched, if you saw some of the TV shows or movies or weird things that I like to watch, you would look at them and be like, man, what a waste of time. Right? Now, there is a little subjectiveness to this. But what we have to understand is you add it up, right? Add it up. If you took all the books on your shelf, all of them, okay, you're done already, okay, and you added up the amount of time it would take you to read them, would you call what's there evil or good? If if you added up all of your leisure time when you're not at work from one week, would you call it good or would you call it bad? Right? There's this this app I, I, I... a void on my phone. It tells me how much time I spend on Instagram, how much time I spend listening to music, how much time I... And recently, my kids asked if they had such a thing for the Xbox game that I like to play, and I said, don't you dare. <laughs> okay? If I'm going to pretend to walk through the woods hunting elk, that's my business. <laughs> my poor children. Daddy, can we play on the Xbox yet? No. <laughs> if you add it up, the total things that you said in a week to your children, is it evil or is it good? 
Now, you, you tell me, right? It seems super random that Paul would say this. The time is evil. The time is evil. It is, though, most of the time, because there is, there is a lot for our flesh. <laughs> there's a lot of tall grass for our flesh to wander off into and waste our time. Dissipation. There's a lot to distract us. There is a lot to lead us astray. And we have to be very careful and look carefully how we're walking. And what he wants us to do is to redeem the time. He wants us to buy the time back. He wants us to, and this word redemption is very important, right? Because what are we? We're redeemed. We, we were evil, and we are redeemed to the Lord. The time is evil, and what he wants us to do is sanctify it. What he wants us to do is glorify it. What he wants us to do is buy it back in wisdom and obeying the will of the Lord, looking carefully, and buy it back and redeem it the way that we have been redeemed. And, and, and we make these jokes, right, about how we spend our time and how we should be spending our time. And, and, and what, what is possible for all of us is to go from here and to redeem it. Why? Because we're in Christ. That's, right? You're redeemed. Now he's talking about us going forth, therefore, and redeeming things. And time is one of the first ones that we have to redeem because there is important work for us to do in this world. Now, the second thing he wants us to do is to be wise, to be wise people. That's what he, he called us to originally. He said, be wise and not unwise. This, beyond redeeming time, he wants us to know the will of the Lord. Why? Because if you know what the will of the Lord is, and you're going, and you're going to do that versus your will, well, you're going, to be going, you're going to be looking carefully then how you walk. The Lord wants you to do certain things. He wants you to do certain things a certain way. And if you know how he wants you to do it and what he wants you to do, then what you're going to be doing is looking very careful. Well, I can't do that because that's not in the will of the Lord. Once you know his will, it's a lot easier. It's a lot easier. This is what wisdom is. How shall a young man, says David, direct his way? In Psalm 119.9, he says, By attending to thy word, O Lord. The word of, of the Lord tells us his will. It tells us what he, has, what, what he has given us the time to do, what he cares how we spend that time. And so the word of the Lord tells us his will. This is how I want you to live with your wife. This is how I want you to live with your husband. This is how I want you to live with your children. This is how I want you to conduct yourself at work. This is how I want you to conduct yourself in the public square. And when you know that, okay, boom, it's easier to go, therefore, and redeem the time. It is always incumbent on the people of Christ to know and to do his will. He says, right, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. What are his commandments? It's his will. It's what he wants for us. He wants us to live a certain way. He wants us to spend the time, our time a certain way. Now, obeying God's will is not a matter of irrational impulse, but of intelligent reflection and action. God will lead us into a deeper understanding through his word, and that might mean into deeper sin by withholding his protection, as we saw with, right? What have we seen with David? David, you've, you've gone astray, my friend. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to let you just stumble and fall down into that ditch, and you're going to get mud all over you. And what I want you to see is how bad your sin really is. And, and you see the effect that that's having, right? And then once people realize that they're going in the wrong direction, <laughs> this is what C.S. Lewis said. Right? If you're going in the wrong direction, you're not going in the right direction until you turn around and go back. Right? Turning around, not if you're progressing the wrong direction, are you really progressing? No, you're not making progress. Progress, if you're going the wrong direction, means turning around and going in the opposite direction. 
And, and, and that's what God wants us to do. That's what he wants us to understand. That's what he wants us to learn in our own lives. Now, you may, in some area of your life, be going in the wrong direction for decades. We can get some of the gray-haired folks up here, and they can testify to the fact that this is true. I remember years ago, I think you've all heard this story, a beloved friend of mine who's a little older than I am, bemoaning some sin that he was trapped in, and I thought, get over yourself already. Come on, let's just watch some Netflix or something. Stop worrying. And later, years later, probably 10 years later, I was struck by a conviction that I was, and I was convicted by a sin, and I remembered it was the sin that he had told me about, that I didn't think was sin. I was like, man, get over it. And then later, once I matured, I was like, oh, no, I'm going in the wrong direction. I guarantee you there are areas in your life in which you're going the wrong way, and the only way to discover them is by studying the word of God. And then when you discover it, it's not, oh, man, what are we going to do now? We'll go back and read the first three chapters of Ephesians. I am Christ's, and he is mine, and therefore I'm going to turn around and progress by going backwards in this area. And, and this is right now the, the Christian nationalism. Sorry, I keep bringing it up, but I'm so happy about it. They keep talking about how we want to go backwards, and this is what I'm, I'm saying. Yes. Oh my gosh, yes, please. Let us go backwards. Because right now, backwards is better. I don't want to progress any further down this road. Please, please, Jesus, don't let us. Let's go back. <laughs> and, and be like, oh, look at these backwards people. And may we always be called backwards people. When it comes to sin, when it comes to worldliness, when it comes to se- the secular culture, may we always and forever be called a backwards people. Because what we want to do is stop progressing down this direction. And you're only going to figure that out if you submit yourself to the word of the Lord, it's the only way to see, right? It's the light that shines on your life to tell you what direction you're going and whether it's a good one or a bad one, to show you how you're spending your time and whether it's evil or not. Okay, now in Ephesians five eighteen through 20, this is the, the, the closing section of our verses. He, he goes on and he says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, grammatically speaking, this paragraph consists of two imperatives, the commands not to get drunk and the command to be filled with the Spirit, followed by three verbs, speaking, singing, thanking. Okay? Here's the imperatives right here. And then this is the result, is what he's saying. Do these things, and this will be the result. That's what this whole section is about. Theologically speaking, it presents us with our Christian duty to avoid drunkenness by seeking the Spirit's fullness, and then describes three consequences of the spiritual condition in terms of our relationship to other believers. Because we are not an island. We are not alone. We don't suddenly get our life in order and then sit there by ourselves, basking in the glory of ourself. Right? When you get your life in order, when you are full of the Spirit, when you're going in the direction you want, when you're redeeming the time like you should, there are other Christians there that you will find in your presence. That's what it's supposed to lead to. Right? When a husband and wife get their act together and they go in the right direction, do they have more of one another or less of one another? Okay? When a family finally repents of their sin and sits down at the dinner table and actually looks at one another over a meal and talk to one another and and are engaged around table fellowship like they're supposed to, do they have more of one another or less of one another? 
it, well, when all of us, when we get our lives in order and, and we are dealing with things like we should, do we have more of one another or less of one another? What he tells us is that you have more of one another. And, and I, I will challenge every single person in this room right now that if you have less of one another, it's a sign that you're going in the wrong direction. If you have more of one another, it is always a sign that you're going in the right direction. If you look at the total time of your week, do you have more of your spouse, more of your children, more of, of your community, or less? Right? Let's go by one year, five years. Let's go by a week ago, two weeks ago. Is your life full of the people of God? And is it increasing or is it stagnant and decreasing? That alone will tell you whether you're going in the right direction or not. Right? What, what, you know what? <laughs> and I'll be honest with you guys. I'm responsible for every single one of you. And when I don't want to be around you, you know, you know what immediately comes to my mind? Well, hold on, let me rephrase that. You know what my wife immediately reminds me of? Is that I'm going in the wrong direction. Because if you want more of one another, you're, you're, you're redeeming the time. And you know the will of the Lord. And you're full of his spirit. Now, this is something that I tell people, young hotbloods, is that don't, re- don't, don't reform anything you don't love. If you don't love something, keep your reforming hands off of it. Now, when you, if, you get to, <laughs> if you love one another, then you will be active in reforming one another. Okay? You want to do it. But what happens? Something happens, or there's, there's sin, there's things that haven't been dealt with, there's things that have been said that you, you've not gotten over, you've separated from people. And what ends up happening is what? You want them to change, but you don't think they're going to. You're not interested in reforming them. And you're not interested in reforming them because you don't love them. Or you're interested in reforming them, and you don't have the Christian love because you're not, you're not being careful about how you walk. And so what you want to do is just simply change people. And I've told that before. There was a friend I desperately wanted to change. I was sick of his nonsense. And I sat down with him, and in three minutes, he could tell that I had some sort of weird agenda. And he's like, I'm not really sure what's going on here, but I'm going to go. Because he could tell there's no love. There's no love. I just, I just stop annoying me. Right? And you can tell this with your own children, right? What he is saying here is that when you are full of the Spirit of God, when you're full of gratitude, when you're full of thanksgiving, what, you, what your life will be fu- filled with is one another. In harmonious song, and, right? There will be harmony in your life. Harmonies that you're singing, harmonies that you're feeling, right? If we're, if we're all guitars, and my job is to tune my guitar to, to, to Jesus who's sitting in front of me, he's playing the notes, I'm tuning my guitar to match his guitar. If we're all doing this, we are also in tune with one another. Right? It's 110 guitars, and there's no disharmony. That's what he's telling us here. That's what he wants for us. This is how we should be careful how we walk, because what he wants amongst the people of God is harmony, gratitude, thanksgiving. Now, one of the things that he says here that I have to address is that it, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. There is a spirit, right? There's a reason they call it spirits. Now, because I like spirits, I actually read books about the history of spirits. This is one of the many things that you maybe think would be 
uh, an easy way to spend my time, but it's quite interesting. And, and there is a long history of calling it spirits. Why? Because when, when people would drink too much of it, they would look like they were in, indwelt by some evil spirit. A father who drinks too much and beats his kids, it seems like there's something possessing him that is not true, good, and beautiful. Um, I, I know in the, <laughs> the British Navy, they used to go and steal these guys from uh, Dublin pubs, and they put them on the ship, and, and they had this miracle cure for all things, these Irishmen, and it was called poaching. Well, and poaching is actually just whiskey. That's all it is. So when you're sick, you get poaching. When you have a wound, you put poaching on it. When, you, when you're feeling down, you drink poaching, right? But, but you were not allowed to make it in the British Navy because they, they called it the evil spirit. And you were not allowed to go on ships and, and, and make the evil spirit because it totally destroyed the community of the ship. This is one of those random things that I know. I'm sorry. But this is what it tells you what happens. A, a community where you have these spirits come in and they're not controlled and everybody just has at them because if you're living on a boat with a bunch of dudes and you've got 17 inches to swing your hammock in, what would make it feel better probably is a whole lot of poaching. <laughs> Everything smells better under the influence of poaching. Everything looks better under the influence of poaching. Everybody's much funnier. The songs sound better under the under the. Pochin, the influence of Pochin, and then suddenly what you have is a ship that doesn't function very well. Okay, they, they, and, and they called it the spirit. This is, we, we call them spirits for a reason. And, and Paul is referencing this here. There is nothing new under the sun. He, he, he juxtaposed these things. Don't be full of wine, spirits. Be full of the spirit of the living God. Because what happens under the influence of the spirit? The spirit of God gives you self-control. These spirits give you a lack of self-control. You will say things you normally wouldn't say. You will do things you normally wouldn't do. You will think things you normally wouldn't think under the influence of these spirits. And you're either under the influence of these spirits or you're under the influence of the spirit of the living God. Now, what he doesn't say, I love everybody, is don't drink. What he doesn't say is please, Welch, invent some juice that people can pretend is wine. right? And somehow work out these. Uh, anyway, I'm sorry, I'm not going to get distracted by that right now, right? It doesn't say don't drink. It says don't be full, right? Now, everyone, everyone here who is an adult who has had an alcoholic beverage, there is a moment when you are full. And there, right, there's a moment that you get to where you're like, I am now full of this. And I am... going to say and do things now that later I'm going to have to send emails to everybody who was at my house and apologize for what I said and did. Right? You're going to go out and you're going to ruin a perfectly good time because you're full of this spirit. And he says, don't do that. Don't do that. Right? Don't do it. Be full of the spirit of the living God. And that spirit, we're told in Romans 14, 17, it says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you're full of the Spirit of God, what are you full of? You're full of righteousness and peace and joy. The fruit of the Spirit are, is what? Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, love. Second Timothy says that we received a Spirit, we received power and love and self-control. That This is the Spirit that we have, power, love, and self-control. This is what we're supposed to be filled with. Now look at a person who's drunk, a person who's full of the Spirit's, the spirits, the evil spirits, they look like somebody who's full of evil spirits. And this is what he wants. He wants you to be full. He wants you to have the fullness of life. 
Earlier, what is he, he prayed in, this, in, in the book of Ephesians? That we would what? Comprehend the length and breadth and height of love of God. He wants us to understand this fullness that we ought to have now because of Christ, in Christ, for Christ, as Christ, this fullness of life. That's what he wants you to be full of. He doesn't want you to be full of the spirits. Now, debauchery is what, he, is what he calls what happens to you, and that actually is a word, the adverb form of it, is that riotous life <laughs> that the prodigal son had. Remember when he took all of his dad's money, and he went and he was full of debauchery? He was full of this riotous living? He spent all of his dad's money on what? Getting drunk and having a good time, and next thing you know, when you're having that kind of good time, you end up what? Sleeping with pigs, right? You're there with the pigs now, eating with them. Now, and if, if you don't believe me, we can go down to UW, to frat row right now, and we can find all the guys out there sleeping in the mud in the front yard. I've seen it myself. It's a thing that happens. That riotous living, that debauchery, that lack of self-control is the thing he wants you to avoid. And then if you avoid that, if you're careful how you walk, if you're full of the will of the Lord, if you're full of the Spirit of God, if you're full of the right things, what happens? Well, Christian fellowship and public worship, that's what happens. And we have to understand, what, when, when you guys are singing, and I want you to think about this as we go on with this service. When you're singing, the person next to you hears you. Right? You're not just singing and it's just an audience of one. When we're singing, we're actually singing towards one another. We're singing to one another. We're declaring the truth to one another. And it's harmonious and it's beautiful. And I'm hearing the truth proclaimed by you and you're hearing the truth proclaimed by me. And I'm hearing it almost always in this community in a melodious and beautiful way. And that's what he wants. That's, he wants harmony. He wants fellowship. He wants the word of the Lord to fill us and come pouring out of us to, to encourage one another and bless one another and call one another to a higher, holier way of life. But that's not all. Right? He wants us to be full of thanksgiving. He wants us to be full of gratitude. Why? Because if you go back to Romans 1, he says... If you thank God and you acknowledge him as God, your, your, your mind will be full of light. Your mind will be set on the things above, not below. Your mind will be set on the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and, and everything in your life will be in order. Now, if you don't thank him and you don't honor him, your mind becomes darkened, and you start flipping things around, your sexual preferences, right? Your, your, the meat and drink. You're not just eating and drinking um, for joyous celebration or to fill your body, you become gluttonous. You start, you, you start falling in all kinds of sexual sins. You start, you're, you start running your mouth. And so all of these things are connected. If you darken your mind by ingratitude, it's like being full of the spirits. And so people who are fastidious and be like, well, <laughs> you know, yeah, I don't drink at all. I don't drink at all. Yeah, but you're, you're not full of gratitude and thanksgiving either, and so you're just the same as a drunk person. You're just the same. What you're drunk on is self, though. Self. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I would like to close with this thought. Your creeds result in deeds. Okay? The words you live by result in works. Ephesians tells us, this is the creed, the Lord Jesus Christ. These are the deeds being careful how you walk in the will of the Lord, wise and upright and full of good things. These are the creeds 
and therefore these are the deeds. That's what he wants us to understand in Ephesians. You can't just come here and get your creeds right and think that that's that. That's not the Christian life. And in our day, we think, in a world gone mad, that as long as we understand what the truth is and we get the creeds right, boom, we're good. Or you have hyper-pious people who have terrible, terrible creeds, and they're out there and they're doing these deeds disconnected from the creeds and they don't understand them. Love is love. Right? We're just going to love everybody. Well, you, you, don't, you don't have the right creeds. You have no idea what that word means. What the book of Ephesians is about is getting the creeds right so that we get our deeds right. Getting the words right so that we get our works right. And this is what you need. This is what your spouse needs. This is what your children need. And this is what the watching world needs. And if we are a community that gets our creeds right and our deeds right, okay, we're not going to go and worship at climate change, pledge, whatever stadium. We're going to have the right deity at the center of our lives, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And if that happens, what we're going to do is affect the overall culture, just like the Christians in Ephesus did. The gospel is good news. It results in good works. That is what we have to understand. Now, my question is this. What are you full of? What are you full of? Are you full of the Spirit of God? Or are you full of the spirits of total one and more? Are you full of divine power cords or the loud carousing of drunkards? Are you full of wisdom or folly? Are you full of idols and idleness or adoration for the Lord in word and deed? Are you full of thanksgiving? I would suggest that you sit down, that you open the book of Ephesians, that you get your creeds right, you get your words right, and then you will get your deeds right and your works right, and then, then we will be a city on a hill. Then we will, we will be addressing the culture of Seattle like they addressed the culture in Ephesus. And you can't just address the culture without getting this right, your creeds and deeds, yours. Not the world's, yours. Go, therefore... And be obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. And and open this book and study it. Study it yourself. Study it as a family. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and kindness. We thank you for the Ephesians. We thank you, Lord God, um, for Paul and his ministry there. We thank you, Lord, that that temple in Ephesus to Diana is no more that it is not remembered but in history books. And I pray that we would get our creeds and our deeds right so that the idols of this land will live only in history books. And amen.